right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 159. It's Tuesday night. This is when we talk to you. It's always live. We always like to, to hear your calls and see what you want to talk about. So I just fired off that tweet to let you know how to join us. You can always hit request from the Twitter app. I'll let you up here and we'll hear whatever you'd like to talk about in college football. Week four is back behind us. It's been an interesting one. A lot of entertaining stories going on. There's a couple of little ones I actually want to mention at the outset. But again, if you'd like to join the conversation, hit request. There are a couple of really interesting ones um, that I don't think some of it got attention, you know, in corners of Twitter, including our own Twitter account. But uh, I can understand maybe not national news. But one of the more interesting stories took place at Division Three because there was a female, and that's how it's described in all the articles, female Haley Van Voorhees became the first female non-kicker to play in an NCAA football game. So to be clear, there have been kickers before, certainly. I mean, uh, going all the way back for at least 20 years, we've had kickers at the FBS level and, and at all divisions. In fact, Jackson State uh, had a kicker. Um, they injured their kicker in earlier season games, and they had um, a female kicker from the women's soccer team come and do their kickoff. So she was, I believe, the first female kicker in the SWAC. But what happened at Division Three was interesting because it wasn't ballyhooed. Some people were like, oh, this was staged. This was just a, to say that a woman played a non-kicking role. No, I actually went back because when we heard it happen, we went back and wanted to clip it. So I actually watched that, that quarter. It took place in the first quarter. For those who are unfamiliar with Division Three football, it is the land of, of just insane mismatches. That's where you'll occasionally see that score line that's like 96 to 0 or something of that nature. So what happened was Shenandoah, a Division three school out in Virginia, was um, playing a very outmatched school, and it was already in the first quarter 26 to 0. And going through the first quarter, having heard that it had occurred in the first quarter, it was just, it was, it was brutal. You know, they kept accidentally turning it over in their own red zone, the opposing team. So scoring was happening at a rapid pace. So deep in the first quarter, they substituted in um, Haley Van Voorhees, who plays uh, apparently free safety, but they put her on an edge blitz. And uh, it was interesting because the announcers had no idea who she was. They had no idea it was any, they, they just called number 10. They weren't, sure who number 10 even was on the roster because she hadn't played yet she's a junior there and i guess there was some reporting when she joined the program in 2021 but this was her first play on um she uh she hurried the quarterback she actually tackled the quarterback some people who were you know again people love to just criticize are like oh it was a late tackle but you know she was jacked up you could tell like it this is her first time to finally start um or at least play in a game uh, you could see the excitement of her and her player, her teammates when she went on there. But for all the criticism, my goodness, it was Division Three football, and it was a team that was already down 26-0. There was a reason why they, uh, the, the football wasn't necessarily the quality people expected. This was not Ohio State versus Notre Dame. This wasn't Florida State versus Clemson. But it was very interesting to see, and, and congratulations to Haley for being the, uh, the first woman to play a non-kicking role in an NCAA football game. Um, and then it was interesting, too. Meanwhile, in Canada, they had their first um, woman to ever play, the University of Manitoba kicker Maya Turner from out here in Minnesota. She apparently went to Loyola of Chicago and realized she didn't like to play women's soccer. So she found the Manitoba was looking for a kicker. So she not only was the first female kicker in Canada, she won the game eventually. She went two for two on field goals. Their other field goal kicker in overtime kept missing. 
So they actually gave her the what ended up being the final kick, and she won the game in overtime. So there were a couple of interesting stories in that regard. So I just wanted to hit on a couple of those because there aren't ones that you typically hear about. And uh, I see John is in the audience and wants to be up here, so I'm going to go ahead and let him up. So, again, if you'd like to talk about anything in college football, my name is Bob Ekhayeri. This is our CFB Talk 159. We always enjoy hearing from you. John, what's going on, man? Hey, Bob. How you doing tonight? Good, good. Uh, actually, it was pretty cool you mentioned uh, Shenandoah. Actually, you, you probably already know, but I live in Virginia, so it's pretty cool that we uh, got to see such a small school here in the state on the map. Um, my question for you tonight, I guess now, now since we hit the, you know, the a good four or five games into the season, um, what coach do you think is most on the hot seat and why? You know, I was just thinking about, especially after the end of Saturday, how Neil Brown had been on the hot seat, but now he's kind of got himself off of it to the, it. you know, West Virginia's winning, but at the same time, uh, it's like a, to the horror of West Virginia fans who've really wanted to see him go. So at this point, looking at, you know, this is going to be a good call because there's, there's, several, uh, there's, <laughs> there's several teams out there that seem to be very disappointed with their head coach right now. I'm not sure, and there's a... I'd love to hear your thought on this one because I, I can think of a few, but John, who's the one that you think is the one most likely to, to be on their way out? I mean, I could be really lazy about this and throw a uh, throw an SEC coach in there because I always feel that SEC jobs are always the most impossible jobs. I mean, you're thrown into a conference where the competition never, never, you know, slows down It it's do or die. The fan base is really intense. So I guess I got to look at Florida because I mean, it's, not looking really hot there so far, and I, I'm kind of curious of what Florida fans are thinking right now. But I mean, they have they have managed to get ranked again. I'm not gonna. I, I don't know. They after beating Tennessee, I think, especially seeing how they do against Kentucky, dropping against Kentucky would just be unacceptable. And they have a reasonable kind of runway here with with Kentucky, a Vanderbilt team that is just as bad as it's ever been, um, and a South Carolina team that is competitive, but clearly isn't quite there yet before they score off against Georgia. And I think, you know, that's already a rivalry game, but that's, that's going to be, I think a tall order. So I think maybe again, that's another example of a head coach who looked to be in, in deeper water, especially after that loss at Utah. Um, and I want to give him some credit. You know, I was, I was kind of just going back and thinking I, I, Dave Aranda seems to have some disappointment around it. I don't know if Baylor would ever pull the trigger at this point, because again, it's it, this maybe this season is just an aberration, but the Big Twelve for the success it's been having at the top, and obviously we have Oklahoma and Texas and and Kansas is is managed to get ranked um, for however long that lasts. I think the shift, at least in disappointment, has been to both you know both of those programs. I mean, Mike Gundy would be crazy to think of them ever letting him go. But at the same time, this has been a disappointing season for Oklahoma State by all uh, by all accounts. Dave Aranda. He's the other one, at least if we're talking about coaches who are kind of eyebrow raising and I'm, I'm concerned about, you know, necessarily how they're doing. I mean, it's Pitt's another one. UVA, I'm not sure how, what kind of they're feeling, but Pat Narduzzi, you know, one of the, the interesting arguments I heard about Pitt is just watching them find the lack of success. Once they lost their offensive coordinator, suddenly they weren't able to produce like they did. And, and how much of that was was influencing their success so i wonder if one day we'll see pitt lose patience with an arduzzi I, at this point i don't i don't have a, a leader in the uh a leader in the bullpen so to speak in the dugout 
Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. And I, I think Pitt's a really good example of that, though, because, you know, that's, that's a team that's been pretty disappointing this year. I think even maybe even last year, I would say, I would say it's a little more of a disappointing team. And I think UVA is sort of a special case right now, though, because of the circumstances that's occurred within the last year. I I, I think it, even if even if they keep performing like this, it's I think it's a tough call to, you know, essentially, you know, get rid of your coach that since he took you through that, you know, an unimaginable situation as as such. But I think, uh, yeah, the only reason I say Flores is because you know it's. SEC fan bases are just can be unrealistic sometimes. Even even when even when your team is playing well, it doesn't feel that like the fan base supports you anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And let's see here. We have Jack up here too. I wanted to give you an opportunity. What's on your mind, Jack? Hey, Bob. First off, thanks for having me on. Uh, and I want to give a shout out to John. Great, great question, and even better profile picture he has over there, dude. The Hey Arnold. You just love to see it. Um, I, but I'm with you guys real quick. Uh, Pat Narduzzi, I mean, remember how, how when the whole Mel Tucker situation first kicked off, we're all looking at, hey, you know, you know, Pat might, might want to go over to uh, East Lansing, give it a go. Now, I, man, I mean, he's in the hot seat over there in the ACC. Uh, I mean, just tough, tough schedule first off, you know, since he going to uh, Morgantown to play at West Virginia and then uh, – you know, a, a pretty good UNC team that not a lot of people are talking about. Uh, I think he's on the hot seat, and I think it might be a bit unfair. Um, that said, Bobby, real quick, I want to give you a quick question. Is is First off, is this live? Is this every, like, Tuesday at, at 10? Is that the uh... – That's what we try to do. I think we're going to not do one on Halloween night because I just – I got kids. I can't do that. And we didn't do one on the 4th <laughs> of July. This has been, like, the year where everything just times out. But – yeah, if I can do it, and it's been, I think, all but the that one Fourth of July this year. Yeah, we do these every Tuesday night at 10 p.m. It's fun. Sweet. It's live. It's interesting to do and, and have a chat with folks. Yeah, man, and all across our beautiful game of college football, that, that's a beautiful thing. That's something that our CFB does so well is that unites people all across this game of ours, no, no matter you know if it's Alabama to the Zips to uh, Canadian college football. Uh, D3, whatever it is, we love it here, and, and, I, and I love that. We actually just finishing, uh, we just finished um, recording a podcast. I'm not going to plug it. I don't want to be rude or anything. But we end up talking about all FBS teams, kind of our spiel, talking about all 133, soon to be 134 FBS teams in every episode. Um, so it's actually, we do that every Tuesday. So it's brilliant that right afterwards uh, you have your show, and that's great. So Kennesaw State. It's going to be Kennesaw State. That's 134, yes, isn't it? Yes, See, we. Lo I love. I again. That that's Beautiful. that's after my heart. I love that kind of trivia, and uh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. But, oh man. my goodness! Like like I, I love learning new things. Like I swear, this year, probably not this year, this weekend, because again, we know we always look at some of the the squirrelier things like college football across the world, and I knew that Arkansas State, for whatever reason, there was like some. I don't know if he was a billionaire, but some really really rich entrepreneur businessman in mexico paid to basically build an arkansas state campus in mexico in right. like central mexico so they they play red wolves they they don't even call them like they don't even change the name into spanish it is the arkansas state uh red wolves but Beautiful. i i put up the the latest standings there because it's, it's amusing once in a while to say hey you know there's an arkansas state in mexico and somebody noticed incarnate word now has a mex a campus in mexico playing football and i did not know that and i feel stupid because i put up the I put up the standings. I didn't pay attention that the team at the bottom had the UIW logo. And there you go, oh, Incarnate oh, Word, you know. So, I mean, 
the sport is growing. And, and again, like all this stuff, it's, it's great that you guys are doing that. Um, I want to just ask you a question since you reviewed all those games. What yeah. is a game that you think people, because everyone wants to, was talking about, obviously, Florida State Clemson, yeah. Notre Dame, uh, Ohio State, you know, Colorado, Oregon apparently had the, the best ratings this week. But what is a game that you think was underappreciated this past week? Oh, that's tough, friend. And, and if I could give you a follow up, that that would that'd be great. Um, that's tough because because the, the some that really stood out to me, and we kind of talked about this in our podcast, was pretty much how the old American teams fared in the Big Twelve. Um, almost everyone played their first game except for Houston. They played Sam Houston State, uh, and you know they they all did all right. You know, Oklahoma looks like the number two team in the Big 12. They had to go to Nippert, one of the best stadiums in all of college ball. Beautiful, historic venue. And the Bearcats played them tough. And Bearcats have had a, a great schedule at this point. UCF, without their quarterback, Plumley, went into the little apple of Manhattan, Kansas. And, you know, they, they fought hard. BYU gave up uh, two, def- um, two touchdowns off of turnovers to the Jayhawks in Lawrence. Uh, and, you know, th- these are all going to be pretty good teams in the, in the Big 12, I, I think, the, the newbies. Uh, but their first round wasn't, as John mentioned, you know, Baylor got some issues. They weren't against Baylor. Um, they weren't against Texas Tech, who I had high hopes going into this year, and they just they haven't hit it. Uh, they were against teams that are going to be fighting for probably that second spot in the Big 12 championship. Um, hopefully they can take down Oklahoma. I mean, K-State, they've been a bit inconsistent. When it comes to the group of five, you know, for me being the sicko that I am, UNM and, and UMass was just oh god, oh, wow, that's, a, that's oh. that definitely qualifies. Oh man, uh, Tulsa at NIU was a great one as well. Um, I yeah. am really looking forward to seeing who comes out in the lead in the Mountain West. I just, I just wanted to put that yeah. out there. I mean, because I mean with. Fresno State Air Force, and it seems like Wyoming. I mean, Wyoming's one loss is to that Texas game where yeah. they were in. They were tied until late. Yeah, that that those three have been. Une- I mean, Wyoming's probably the most unexpected of the three. I think Fresno State Air Force. People were expecting them to be mm-hmm. challengers. Boise State's been disappointing, and clearly the teams there have a puncher. San Diego State's been disappointing. Actually, I should say that's another head coach. Agreed. Everyone yeah. seems to be pointing at Brady Hoke. This might be the end for him over there on his second time at San Diego State. His first time was where he was able to then get the Michigan job. But uh, yeah, I, I'm not. I think it's an interesting conference to see there, especially among the G5. And then UNLV. I mean, it's it's a little mm-hmm. early, but to see them, you know, it was Vandy, but still Barry Odom was an interesting hire. I don't think I remember when they hired the old Mizzou head coach, and everyone was kind of surprised. But he seems to be doing the right things in UNLV, which especially after they moved into, you know, after they got to share that stadium, when the when the legislature forced the Raiders yeah. to to share allegiance with UNLV, there was no reason why this is this gives them that opportunity to be a true, you know, potentially that again, a sleeping giant in the, the Mountain West. But now having a coach that could potentially get them to that level would be would be striking. You know, John, I see your hands up. Do you want to add something to this? Yeah, I just want to jump in on, on about, uh, you know, we talked about this past weekend. I'm really excited for this Saturday for a game I never, ever, in a million years will ever figure out to be excited for. Duke and Notre Dame playing each other on Saturday might be one of the better games this weekend. And I cannot believe I'm still saying that out loud. But that 
I think that spells a really potential good game. Uh, game day certainly agreed with you. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're going to, I think that, yeah, I think that's definitely one of those. And it's, it's always exciting when a, a school that's never hosted game day gets an opportunity to, and yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how that is. And, you know, sure. Notre Dame came off that, that very close loss and, and counting uh, problem they had with Ohio state, but, I think they it, they didn't look terrible, and if they win out, and that's a big if because they've got some tough games, not only Duke but USC except at all. If they can win out, they're still going to have a, a shot, at least outside shot, at being in the playoff. That was one of those games with Ohio State where both teams could easily. I mean, obviously Ohio State takes the edge for obvious reasons, but Notre Dame still keeps themselves at least in the outside of the discussion. It wasn't one where they they took themselves completely out of it. Jack, um, I know you wanted to add something to that. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with John. I think it's a great matchup. I think it's interesting that game day is following um, Notre Dame two weeks in a row. But it, first off, I mean, yeah, we, we all know how great of a game that was. Um, Ten men on the field for the last play of the game. Absolutely brutal. Heartbreaking. Last two plays of the game, no less. They, they took a timeout. Oh, man. You can't call back-to-backs uh, timeouts. It, it's just brutal. I just real quick, I want to I want to say hey to my friends Noah and Mister Economy in the uh, in the chat. Oh, you guys see me there? We are long suffering FAU owls, um, but just just yeah. I, the, okay, the before you I, leave, I gotta ask what's what do you think of Tom Herman so far? Uh, it tough, tough. Um, he was able to keep the team mostly together. Uh, Laramie Cannon entered uh, our star running back, entered the portal, took his name out, and and trust me when I could say when I say that he he could play just about anywhere. But we had some serious, serious issues. Uh, Casey Thompson, I mean, God bless him, tore his ACL at Clemson. Uh, I mean, his his career might be over. Um, tough luck. The former Cornhusker and a Texas Longhorn quarterback. Uh, after Clemson, I mean, it looked like we were going to be on our fourth running back going into Illinois last week. Um, wide receiver. Um uh, Burton was was hurt, so you now have Lejonte Wester, who's really kind of taken the mantle. Uh, Lejonte Wester now leads uh, all of FBS ball in receptions, mind you. Um, and, and defensively, we had we had a lot of injuries, man, just injuries everywhere. And it, it's it's been tough, but Tom Herman, uh, he seems to be doing great. You know, w- Willie Taggart beforehand, um, wish him all the best. Just didn't work out, but you know, it's kind of hard to to follow. Lane Kiffin um, and everything and he he did in paradise as we call it. So, you know, not not where we want to be. We're really hoping to be there or thereabouts in the American, especially considering our schedule this year was pretty easy. We haven't played a conference game yet. You never know. But um, you know, if if you don't mind, Bobby, and I, I can see you know uh, Tin Horn wants to talk and, and John as well. I think, but I, I was going to ask what y'all think about the top G five teams. If you guys had to pick five right now and Bobby you mentioned you mentioned Fresno and you mentioned Air Force Air Force is undefeated 4-0 they won nine straight all by double digits all right and I don't think I heard of a of a team that's done that well that hasn't got gotten enough uh respect like Air Force has um and and beyond that I couldn't even tell you who, who else is in my top top five for the g5 but i feel like yeah that's a great question right and i I do yeah i'm i'm bullish on fresno state and air force i think wyoming has proven to be a strong team i mean that only loss was to texas and they did not look bad in that loss i think 
going outside of there, the Americans have been the interesting one because there was so much disappointment with UTSA not, and UAB, especially not being exactly where we wanted to see them. FAU, we expected you know an adjustment with the new head of coaching regime, so we'll give them a pass. So Tulane is still out there. Memphis looked decent. They lost to Mizzou, but they looked decent doing so. They didn't you know roll over. They gave them a challenge, and Mizzou seems to be one of those teams that's hard to uh, hard to peg right now. So I think between those five teams or that, and with the Sun Belt, by the way, James Madison's still screwed right now. James Madison cannot qualify for any postseason game. So you get Georgia State right now and Georgia Southern. Both of those two, I, I'd be curious to see where they're at. I mean, I, I, I'm happy to see just as someone who, who you know, my, my allegiance and what it's worth. I went to the University of Southern California. So Clay Helton was kind of, I wasn't thrilled by him, but I didn't hate the man. And I'm happy that he seems to be finding a good fit with, um, with Georgia Southern. But yeah, Georgia State seems to be the other one that's kind of inexplicable. So I'm kind of looking in those teams right now. But um, uh, I'd be curious to see. I don't know if there's anyone in uh, Conference USC. You got Liberty, but Liberty's schedule is so incredibly weak. It is. I remember Phil Steele put it 133 out of 133. So no idea how that would ever work out. You know, and I think that's actually a good segue to to just also Tinhorn Productions. And we let you up here. I, I know you're. Um, I see that. I see the the get at their asses. You know, uh, the G A T A at the beginning. What are your thoughts on, on this and, 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 I, and whatever else you wanted to bring up? So I, I wanted to talk some Georgia Southern and uh, Sunbelt football. Uh, I have tickets to the upcoming Georgia Southern versus Coastal Carolina game. There's only a few hundred tickets left. It's going to be uh, either sold out or near capacity. It's going to be a great game, electric atmosphere. Uh, so I, I'm hoping the Eagles pull out a big victory, uh, get the first win in conference play. Uh, it'll be big. Uh, we're three and one going into this game. Uh, bad loss of Wisconsin. We had a lot of turnovers, but uh, I think that was more of a fluky game than anything else. Uh, I think yeah. we'll be strong going into the conference play. Yeah, I agree that that was those turnovers just absolutely killed Georgia Southern at Wisconsin. But I I'm very curious to see how not only the Coastal Carolina game, and I know it's you probably don't want to look far ahead, but the, the following game, uh, I believe you guys have a bye week, but the following game is at James Madison. And that is going to be one that will, I think, be very interesting as far as Sunbelt fans or, or just any fans of football, because James Madison right now is undefeated, but they can't play in the title game so they can't even qualify for the new year's six because they can't be a conference champion and it would be really interesting to see again a challenger like georgia southern a classic powerful program put that to sleep by just simply beating them in regular season play but first things first coastal carolina who looks i mean jamie chadwell is not there they got a great quarterback but that running game isn't exactly there for them uh I think they're definitely weaker than they were before. So this isn't what we, what people got excited about previously. Yeah. I mean, that's really great for the Eagles offense. Uh, uh, I mean, our team looks great this year. Top 10 in passing yards, uh, like we were last year. James Brin has been very, very good. Uh, except some boneheaded decisions in the Wisconsin game. 
but I think that was more of a, the offensive line letting a lot of pressure get to him. He had a lot of sacks that game and ended up switching quarterbacks in garbage time in the fourth quarter. So I, I don't think that game is representative of how this team has played as a whole. And I believe going into conference play against James Madison, we won that game last year in uh, Paulson Stadium in Statesboro. But we're going to be on the road, so that's going to be a tough one. But our home schedule looks very winnable this year. Uh, Coastal does not look like the beast that they have been in the Sunbelt East. Uh, I really believe that Georgia Southern could probably go undefeated. Uh, we have Old Dominion at home, Georgia State at home. Uh, so we, we, we're going to have that home field advantage, especially in that Georgia State rivalry game. So it, it'll be interesting to see, but I, I think Clay Helton has this team on the right track. Absolutely. And, you know, I just want to go back to help one last second. And I see John and Jack have their hands up and I'll, I'll go to them to hear their input on this. But Helton is like one of those coaches where I was curious, is this just a, a, a coach who has talent but is better suited to a program that wasn't USC? It just didn't fit him. And sometimes you'll see coaches that do that. They get promoted. The Peter Principle, which I uh, classic saying, I actually have the book. It was originally a parody. I, got, I was able to find an original copy of it. But uh, the Peter Principle is you get promoted based on your talent level until you reach a job where you're actually not talented anymore and you're terrible at it. So with Helton, I'm not saying that the, quite that happens, but you see that in head coaching, particularly with like coordinators. Guy was an amazing defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, and just bombs as a head coach. But uh, with Helton, I was curious to see if a different environment – and, and a place where he could kind of focus more on just being a coach would do better than at the, the big, the, the USC circus. And, and so far, so far, so good. And I know, especially for those who are unfamiliar, Georgia Southern among programs is probably one of the most underappreciated fan bases in terms of how wildly passionate they are about their program. And I don't want to, I, I don't want to say like as a G five, cause that just seems insulting. That's just like, a, you know, it, it, just in general, that was one of the things that struck me the hardest when I started covering college football more seriously in 2015 is, is how serious they are in Statesboro and the tradition they have of success over many seasons. there, particularly as they rose up and, and then joined FBS and found themselves to be competitive almost from the beginning, actually right from the beginning. But um, I just wanted to add that. You know, John, I see your hand up. I want to get your thoughts on this, and then we'll, we'll head over to Jack as well. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, first thing first, yeah, I, I definitely agree. Uh, Georgia Southern has, has a great chance of winning the um, on this side of the Sun Belt. Um, and, I mean, I know Georgia State's getting all the recognition right now for being undefeated, but I think Georgia Southern has a very impressive play this, so far this year. I know the Wisconsin loss was hard, but uh, that's still, you know, that's still a very good team we lost to. But I mean, by I think respectable about considering the circumstances going all the way to Camp Randall. Um, I know Bob, you're, you and you guys were talking about uh, G five schools that looked impressive. Um, I think uh, Bob, I agree pretty much with you with most of them. Uh, you know, with the Sun Belt and with Fresno State, and uh, I think Air Force. Uh, I just want to throw a shout out to the MAC schools as well. I know it's uh, kind of top heavy of a conference this year, but man, the top heavy is doing really well on the non conference side. It's been really impressive to see some of these teams go out and you know, you know, go out and beat the big dogs of the uh, of this of this division. So I'm really curious of how they play the rest of the year and how they um, how they really show up for bowl season. Oh, I agree. I'm a real fan of Ohio right now. Ohio's, you know, that that really close loss to San Diego State, which actually over time has seemed a little bit a little bit stranger only because San Diego State 
has seemed to have slowly come apart a little bit more than people expected. But, you know, they beat FAU, which again, Jack's, Jack's team, but then went on the road, beat Iowa State. So suddenly it seems like, I mean, of course, the MAC is a, a one of the most cannibalistic conferences there are. They will just have a team that does not show up on a particular week or a team that just seems to play out of their minds. But between them and Toledo in those divisions, I think those are the two clubhouse leaders. And I'm very curious to see how this develops out as the as the season progresses, if we're looking just at the MAC teams. Because, um, again, yeah, Toledo they had that close loss at Illinois. And otherwise, they've, they've had no problem taking care of business. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see if that's what it boils down to and we get a repeat of, of a conference title game. Jack, I know you wanted to add something um, to any of the stuff we just discussed. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, first off, that Ohio's loss at San Diego, uh, don't forget, there should be a little asterisk to that because Curtis Rourke, that was his first game back since tearing his ACL, and he only played, what, man, half of, half of the first quarter? Because uh, he got injured again, uh, ended up not playing the next week. Of course, our luck, uh, his uh, first week back was uh, in Boca Raton to play FAU. Ohio's the real deal, man. Uh, they have a, a top 10, if not top 5 defense. They held the Owls uh, to 5 yards rushing. That's stupid. That's stupid. Clemson didn't even do that with, with our 4th and 5th string running backs playing. Uh, Ohio's the real deal. And they have not won a conference championship in since what seventies, sixties. Do you have the number in front of you? It's I don't have it in front of me, but they've been absolutely cursed when it's been coming to just getting close oh to God. it and just not quite getting there. And you know they had that problem with with just the and I mean obviously Tim Albin was there, but also I I can't help but think of. Um, uh, all those years under Frank Solich, who yeah. I thought made them competent, made them a solid program, and there just always would be some random game Ohio would drop and and just not quite make it all the way. So it, they are, they are the, in my mind, the team that in the MAC that always challenges and just falls short every time, and you can never – it's inexplicable. And part of it's just that what I talked about with the MAC, they just seem to cannibalize themselves, but they are the ones that seem to always get the brunt of it. Um, yeah. But uh, – Yes. They, so, and they, go ahead. Yeah, no, sorry. I'm just, just again. I mean, they, I think they should be undefeated, just like how Wyoming very well could have been undefeated. Uh, uh, they're on their second string quarterback when they were in Austin, and they fought with the Longhorns, who a lot of teams are really high on this year, all the way until the end. I mean, if if they had their starter playing, I mean, who knows? And the Cowboys from Laramie can play some serious ball. Ask the Red Raiders. Ask ask the Mountaineers from App State. Sorry, sorry, I don't know where Tim went, but uh, you know, he being a Georgia Southern fan, he's obviously not too high on App State. Um, I mean, just just incredible G five ball all the way around. Again, don't want to sleep on Toledo. More so disappointed in so Southern Alabama. Sorry, South Alabama, the Jaguars over in Mobile. Troy a little bit that went against Western Kentucky uh, last weekend. Highly entertaining. Uh, Hell Mary to end uh, the first half of Troy. Uh, absolutely beautiful. And I, and I just want to give one more shout out. Um, keep, kind of keeping it in the Sun Belt. Georgia State does look good. Darren Granger, probably the best quarterback that the national media hasn't talked about yet. But Georgia Southern, yeah, that loss, 21-point loss um, at Camp Randall. Not great, and I know no fan wants to hear this, but 
I haven't seen a team look as good yet lose by 21 points as the Eagles did against Wisconsin. And, and I, I think that really solidified how serious Georgia Southern is going to be. I think they proved that um, a game. I think they played Ball State and handled them easily last week. Uh, I, I, I think Southern's the real deal. And, yeah, not a lot of people are talking about them in the East. JMU, State. Uh, who else is over there? I'm trying to remember now. Oh, Marshall. Dude, how the freak are we forgetting about Marshall? I hate Marshall, but they look great, man. They look good. Yeah, they do. Absolutely. And, and you're right. We totally forgot to – acknowledge that how that because i mean i i remember years years ago because at this point it's gotten to be too longer than i care to admit um in law school i went with a guy who had played in college football he played at marshall and he said there was no team they wanted to beat this is 20 years ago but there was no team they wanted to beat more than virginia tech and to, to see them go there and get that victory and yeah virginia tech is looking pretty awful right now but um, that was a huge deal for them. But, yeah, again, going back to that Wisconsin game, though, when you throw five interceptions, that, that score being, you know, was, I think, indicative of the fact that, you know, had they not had five turnovers like that, I think perhaps it would have been closer. And when they didn't and they had a solid game against Ball State, you see exactly what happens. You just see complete domination there. But, um, you know, I see we have someone actually up here. Uh, the water boy, you actually covered because it's sort of funny. You covered uh, the San Diego State Ohio game for us. What's on your mind, man? I did. I covered that. Plus, I also covered the uh, the Bowling Green Mission game. So I've seen multi MAC games. Um, in earlier, you said the, you think the Aztecs have kind of fallen apart from where we thought they were. I actually thought they played better than I thought they were against Boise in that loss to an average Boise team. So I, I didn't think much of the Aztecs, but I do believe uh, the other guy was right. that The fact that uh, that the quarterback went down for Ohio was a it – was, it was a turning point in the game. Uh, Ohio wasn't the same on offense. But I do believe in the MAC, you're ultimately probably looking at Ohio versus Toledo – in like some sort of a conference championship game. And then being tradition, uh, Ohio will lose and Toledo will probably Ouch. win. Yeah. <laughs> Until they prove otherwise. I can, sorry, I can see sorry, that. Sorry. I can see that. You know, and I, sorry for that Ohio fan there. Just, you know, with San Diego State, I think you're right. I think maybe that is – I was being a bit harsh. We'll see how they do. I mean, Boise State, they lost closely to an average – what seems to be an average Boise State program. And maybe they're another program that might start – taking a really hard look at the head coaching position because they're certainly not the Boise State that seemed to be terrifying from the 2000s onward, ever since Dan Hawkins. I always love to go back to Dan Hawkins because that was when I noticed Boise State and, uh, and Chris Peterson took over for it when Hawkins went and flopped at uh, Colorado. But um, those were some years for them. But, you know, yeah, if Boise State can – pardon me, if San Diego State can simply go, <laughs> simply go and beat Air Force – this week, then yeah, sure. I'm sure people will, will, will start looking around. So there's certainly an opportunity. I don't know. For them. I don't think they, I don't think they will. And I think that uh, much like you were just saying there, I think San Diego state needs to start taking a, a, a look at uh, their coaching situation with, with Brady Hoke and the lack of any kind of like quarterback production really uh, under his watch. And until their quarterback play improves they're going to just and, and their running game isn't like the running game that we've seen in years past they're going to continue to to stumble and look like a 500 type college football team 
You know, speaking of stumbling, before I forget, I wanted to also just acknowledge one of the funnier moments that I don't don't know if everyone had a chance to see, but during the uh, Colorado obliteration uh, by Oregon, there was actually a really funny moment at the beginning of the game. So they're getting onto the field. Oregon Duck came out. And most people I'd heard, I'd seen references to the fact that the Oregon Duck came out in a cowboy hat and shades, kind of emulating Dion. But he comes out and there's, they put up like a clock that said, you know, there was, the joke was it was prime time. So it was supposed to represent Deion Sanders. And he destroys it with a sledgehammer. It's always cute because, as we know, it's Donald Duck, except, you know, uh, Walt Disney gave permission for that to, to be the, the Oregon Duck. While he's smashing it, there's video of him hitting it so hard that the dude flipped the head right off the mascot. So it was, it's one of the funnier moments I've ever seen. Uh, Brian Floyd, I think, was able to upload a video of it. But just watching the Oregon Duck, the guy, I mean, you feel for the guy. He panics. He hits this this prop so hard with a sledgehammer, his own head flies off. And you just see the little, because then the proportions get totally warped. You see, you can't quite make out his face, but you see this brunette a little head popping out of the duck costume. And it's just, you can tell he has a moment of just sheer panic. And he runs right back in the tunnel. The head was like two feet in front of him. He could have probably grabbed it, but... Clearly, his, his instruction was, if your head flies off, get out of there. And it wasn't like the, I, I don't know if they do it like they do at Disney parks, where everybody who's a, a cast member in a suit or whatever they call it when you're one of the, the, the folks um, playing one of the Disney characters, they have like a handler or someone who's kind of their spot person to, to keep them out of trouble and, and keep people from attacking them from behind because you can't really see in those things. But yeah, that was it's one of those funny moments watching this guy run out, um, this poor guy run out because of the head flew off the duck, which I hadn't seen in a while. One of my funny, one of the funnier moments years and years ago during the NCAA uh, basketball tournament, the Oregon Duck got into a fight with the Miami, with actually the Utah swooped like their mascot. This is, I think, before Utah was even in the Pac-12. And they got into such a fight that the referees ejected the two mascots. Um, because they were they were literally wrenching each other on the ground and ripping each other's heads off, which is glorious. And and I mean, if anyone who who knows these kind of mascot fights has to also acknowledge to the other great moments when the Oregon Duck, I don't know who was in the costume, but did some really offensive things to the uh, the Houston Cougar to the point where um, like they had to be separated by the uh, the cheerleaders had to like grab the Oregon Duck and pull him off of the Houston Cougar. And then there was, of course, another moment where, um, well, I'm getting too much of the mascot stuff. I want to let someone else up as well here to have a conversation. I see Gamecock Superman, one of our regulars. I'm going to go ahead and let you up here as well. By the way, another great moment. There were so many funky moments this week. There were a normal a number of great moments. But we were talking about James Madison. But if you also haven't seen this, this crazy moment, James Madison, they were already in the lead. They were up 24 to, like, zero at this point. But they got so upset about – it was against the uh, Utah State. They were so upset about the fact that th they thought a player went out of bounds. And, I, and again, the head coach just wasn't thinking because you're not allowed to do this. One of his assistants or one of the staffers showed him on his phone, like, evidence that the guy had stepped out. So the coach, like, while he's yelling at the ref, grabs his phone and shows the screenshot of the players stepping out you're not allowed to do that like unlike the nfl you can't have any of these you can't have a tablet you can't have anything on the sideline and the ref was within his rights to eject the coach or penal penalize him but to be fair the ref is clearly angry like furious um uh, but doesn't eject the coach just kind of like takes his hand and 
tosses the phone to the side and says like you know i don't care you can't do that but it, again it's one of the wilder moments i think um oh those great guys at art but sports there's this one gentleman and i actually i've, uh, I've traded dms with him he's just a he's a financial planner or something that really just loves art and loves football but there's a he he, he got the treatment where he, he made a reference to a Cezanne painting that had the same resemblance of the pleading of the JMU coach to, to please look at my phone. Um, which actually, you know, to be honest, as we've gone on, I'm a little bit wondering why we can't have these things on the sideline. Is it that big of a deal? But one other wild, again, wild incident that happened in college football that wasn't as well known as the, um, the Ryan Day, Lou Holtz feud, which we can, of course, get to later. But Texas State... Was uh was again hosting Nevada and Nevada's been awful. We know that, but someone apparently on the Texas State fo- uh, band threw a trident at the uh, Nevada football players. Which, I mean, when you, <laughs> like, I, how do you even like when you see this reported? What do you even say? But apparently, it was a prop trident. So obviously, this wasn't like brick from Anchorman, like actually killing somebody, but. Uh, getting ejected for throwing a trident, and p- people were like, "Why do the Texas State Bobcats even have tridents?" And again, this is where the advantage we have is one of the team that runs the uh, Reddit or uh, RCFB Twitter account actually did some work at uh, t- Texas State and was familiar with it. San Marcos, the town that it's just outside Austin that contains Texas State, I guess it's the mermaid capital of Texas. Again, like this, this gets more absurd as I say it out loud. But so San Marcos is the mermaid capital of Texas. So apparently tridents were on the sideline of Texas State. And one of the band members decided to hurl one at the uh, at the Nevada team on the sideline as they were all, you know, just having the usual kind of smack talk that you see. So. Again, that's by far one of the stranger stories you'll probably hear that happened in college football in a week that had so many strange stories that I think a lot of this stuff got lost. But Gamecock Superman, you've been very patient. What's on your mind, my friend? How's it going, man? Uh, you know, it was a great weekend of college football. The uh, Missouri game or uh, the Mississippi State game was electric. Uh, I was there, you know, first sold out SEC game of the season. And my question to you is, after watching the game, where would you put uh, Xavier Leggett as a serious, you know, Bolitnikov candidate this season? You know, he is an electric player, and, and the advantage of having such a good quarterback to throw to him is, is definitely elevating it. So they, they, they build off of each other. That's absolutely, um, I think, no doubt there. Because Spencer Rattler has has really been, I think, a solid quarterback in every game. I mean, even in losing efforts, you see that talent. So to have that kind of Rattler to get, you know, ability has 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 elevated both of them. So I'd be and you know, Jack, did you have something on this specific one? I see your hand up and I feel like you wanted to actually chime in here. Yeah, yeah. Love Xavier. Uh I, I think he's one of the most underappreciated receivers in the nation. Um, he, he was like number six or seven. I'm sorry, I don't have it in front of me. Forgive me. Um, when it came to total yards, um, earned or, or caught, whatever it is, I'm, I'm I'm not sure. Last week, give me a second, I'll pull it up. Um, but I mean, the SEC East is pretty stacked when it comes to receivers this year. Uh, really, really impressive. I, I'm, I'm impressed with uh, Luther Burden from Mizzou, how he handled um, Memphis defense last week. I just pulled it up. Okay, I'm so sorry. Xavier Leggett, 
189 yards on five receptions. That is stupid. That is stupid. Two scores? Are you kidding me? Yeah, uh, he's he's really impressive in the SEC East. Um, they're just they're just stacked. There's Luther, seventh place. So Xavier Leggett was sixth place, sixth place in the nation, and uh, and yards for uh, receivers. Uh, 189. Luther Burden, Mizzou, 177, but on ten receptions. Number one. If anyone can tell me where the number one receiver is last week. Um, it, I, you, get, you get a cookie. I don't know. Would it be Roma Dun, uh, the guy from Washington? Zay, uh, is that how you say it? You you would think, but it, according to ESPN, he's not even in the top ten for last week. This is just over one week period for for like last week's games. So over the season, he's probably there. I mean, and when you have some like Penix throwing you the ball, I mean, doesn't he, he could be in Tacoma instead of Washington? He'll be fine. But, yeah, that's but a whole side story in and of itself. Washington looks like they could be a number one team, and people just uh, haven't recognized it yet. But, uh, but go ahead. Sorry about that. My next sort of question going off of that is, obviously there's a big matchup in uh, Neyland Stadium, Tennessee versus South Carolina. Last year, you know, we all know the story. Uh, Tennessee was, was a one-loss team coming into uh, Columbia, Williams-Brice Stadium, and they got absolutely annihilated embarrassed on national television uh their fan base you know is is still mad about it and they've been saying all year that this game has been circled on their calendar and they want to blow us out you know uh beat us 100 to nothing my question to you is you know who do you think wins in this situation and do you think the whole revenge game angle is is sort of overplayed with this and and people, you know, thinking that this is just going to be easy win for Tennessee at home. I'm not sure I would ever say it's going to be an easy win for Tennessee at home. I think I do believe that motivation is going to be in there, especially after Tennessee, you know, in ex- well, they couldn't get over the curse of, of, of Gainesville and they, and they lost again in the swamp, despite, seemingly being a much stronger team than, than Florida going into that. And maybe to some extent that'll be when people look back, that's when Florida uh, started to turn its season around very early on. But I, I, I would lean towards giving Tennessee the edge right now, being in Neyland, being a team that is, is competent. And, and again, let, let's just say that was Gainesville voodoo. They looked extremely competent again against a UTSA team that, as I mentioned before, it was disappointing. UTSA seemed like they'd be a much stronger program this year, and it hasn't quite materialized. But I, revenge does, is a good motivation, or it's just – you're right. I, I mean, could it end up being a, a, a pointless you know, endeavor for them? I'm not sure, but I do believe in that kind of revenge factor. Hopefully, I mean, for a team that's that seeking revenge, it, you know, it doesn't manifest in, in you know, being clumsy and just losing your focus. But I – Gosh, Tennessee, I would have to give them the edge right now, especially at Neyland. And I, I expect if it were going to be a game, it would be a closer one. It would be um, Spencer Rattler, again, as I've said, has impressed me and continued to impress me. So if it is a victory or a loss, I don't think Rattler is going to be is going to cost the game for them. I think it's going to be a question of whether South Carolina can uh, can keep up, at least on defense, with what Tennessee's going to be throwing at them because Tennessee tries to find that that identity there. Yeah, I mean, I 
Um, I would tend to agree. As a South Carolina fan, obviously, I, I believe that the uh, the line currently sits at a, a 12 and a half right now. I believe Tennessee sits as a 12 and a half point favorite. Nothing I've seen from Tennessee so far up to this point would, uh, you know, indicate that I think that they're going to cover the spread. So I would say as far as, you know, betting this game, I'd probably take South Carolina and the points. But, you know, certainly Neyland is a tough stadium to win a game in, and South Carolina has not done, you know, amazing work there, uh, you know, for many years uh, previous to this. So I'm hoping for a win. It would be a huge win if we got it done again. And, uh, you know, I, I am looking for forward to the game on Saturday night. Jack, I know you wanted to have a follow-up on this. Yeah, Bob, if you don't mind, and then after this, I'm going to have to uh, call tonight and edit our podcast. Um, you know, Gamecock, Super, Superman, I mean, it's – Y'all played UGA really well. Game was in Athens. Is there really that much difference between Athens and Knoxville when it comes to, you know, a Neyland and everything else when it comes to game day experience? You know, USC has been in this tough environment this year. I wouldn't want to bet against um, Rattler at all and, uh, and the wide receivers that he has there. So Tennessee, yeah, they looked good against UTSA, but, you know, UTSA, they didn't have Frank Harris. Obviously, it was more so like uh, UTSA's defense couldn't stop the balls. Um, you know, the Roadrunners still have Rashad Wisdom, probably the best safety that, again, the country doesn't really recognize. And he's he's been a top safety at the G5 level um, and in the nation for years now. I feel like the guy's been in school longer than me. And trust me, that's a long yeah, time. Yeah, Frank Harris, it's he's been there for, what, time. seven years, I think, at this point. Yeah, it's it's yeah. I mean, they, they UTSA they they've had these guys for a while, but I, I you know I I wouldn't USC looks all right. I'm not gonna say that that you know. I, I, what I'm trying to say here is I'm as I'm with Gamecock Superman here. I, I think USC can do it. I think they might even be live. Um, I I, I think the if there are fans that are saying Tennessee are gonna blow them out, I don't. I don't see it right now. I, I think he uh, he should keep the faith. And uh, that being said, I'm going to call tonight. Bob, thanks so much. Hey, for what was your podcast me. again? You should let us know really quick. Oh, brother, you are too kind, man. Um, okay, so as of right now, it's FBS Campus Tour. Um, it's new. It's been an idea we've had for a long time. We're probably going to change it to something like FBS 134, something of the sort, you know, because we we're going to name drop all 134 teams for now 133 i should say um in every single episode uh and we, we don't and if you we all probably know of um cfb campus tour right one of the best twitter accounts dude is living the dream going to all these college football stadiums um so we want to make sure that he he can get all the love that he deserves while we try to figure out what we're going to name our own thing so uh, appreciate you allowing me to kind of name oh, absolutely man that. thank you so much for joining us it was awesome yeah, yeah. See you next Absolutely. Tuesday. Hey, Nate, I, we're happy to see you again. How's it going? Bob, doing great, man. Thanks for letting me come up and chat again. Uh, man, I'm like so disappointed that I missed uh, the whole thing. Hopefully you guys are going to talk for a little bit. I know it probably won't go on too much longer, but um, yeah, I was at a, uh, one of my, one of my best friends is a head volleyball coach and um, 
my other best friend, his daughter is playing for his team this year, so I went and watched their um, their volleyball match. So got back here late. It's just been a long day, and I'm sitting here. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I forgot it was Tuesday. And we'll jump in Bob's space. So, um, yeah, appreciate you jumping in. Uh, let me in. Um, I know I probably missed the whole show. You guys covered so much stuff. I'll, I'll just – I'll ask a, kind of a curveball question. We can spend time on it if you want to. If not, that's all good, too. But um, – I know there's a heavy schedule this weekend. There's a lot of important games. I can't wait to watch Georgia-Auburn, obviously. Um, But the game that I think I'm most intrigued with or one of the most intriguing games is not this weekend but next weekend when um, Oklahoma is playing Texas. Because in my opinion, if Texas wins that game, which I'm not saying they will because, you know, Oklahoma's good too. But if Texas does win that game, when you look at the rest of their schedule, do they essentially kind of write their way into the top four teams? Or do they – I think they become a top four team for playoff contention if they beat Oklahoma all the way up until when um, – championship game start so just want to throw a little tidbit out there i agree with you i mean texas if they can and again we i know um i know the water boy wanted to mention this because uh obviously we have to acknowledge that there is a a very meme popular game that's going to be coming up for the longhorns this weekend with kansas um both ranked you know four and oh kansas what a what a heck of a a nice start for them last leapfold is legit um, regardless of however things go, that's it's it's amazing. I think I forgot the last time that that they opened the season like two back to back four and zero seasons for the Jayhawks has been a long, long time. But um, you know, I'll, I'll let you. But before I get into that, Water Boy, I know you wanted to add something about this. Well, yeah, before we jump ahead a week, we have to look at this week's upcoming game. It's it's the Reddit CFB like game of the year, a ranked Kansas versus Texas, a number three Texas. I mean, this is this is it's beyond meme. This is this is our like our Reddit Super Bowl, and so we can't skip ahead a week in Texas. We have to look at Texas Kansas, and I want to hear what you think about Texas Kansas this upcoming weekend. I, I think Kansas looks nice. I think they're they're. For again, I think they're going to be able to qualify for a bowl again this year. I'm I'm hesitant to say that they're going to upend the, uh, especially you know in Austin. I think this is Texas looks too strong. I think uh, I want to go with Nate here. I think if they can get through that and then you know are able to whoever takes over that that Red River Showdown in the following week is going to have the lead in the Big Twelve. And I I again at this point. Texas seems like the stronger program. Oklahoma looks good. They do. The defense, I mean, compared to last year, finally looks like it's clicking there. But I think just overall, the talent level and the weapons that are currently being employed by Texas give them that edge. And if they can get past Oklahoma, I think they have a pretty smooth sit. Okay, if they can get past Kansas, I will say it. If they can get past Kansas, and if they can get past Oklahoma, it looks like a pretty smooth run for them. And then at that point, I feel way more comfortable saying that we can easily pencil them in for the the playoff. And, you know, kind of a quick note there. Um, so RCFB since like uh, 2010, apparently, which is long before I ever was even on Reddit, but they've had, we've had a poll and a poll that's actually pretty good. I mean, I say this not to toot our own horn, but because I have nothing to do with that. I don't even vote in it. I, I just don't have the time. But there's one of our, our members, Sir Gippy, has put this poll together and he's been doing it for now. It's in their 13th or 14th year. 
and it's 400 voters. And it's been very fascinating because these 400 voters, they have to apply. There's always a couple of thousand applications. And he tries to build a poll that's, that's kind of balanced with fan bases. And it's almost always kept really close to the AP poll, just because when you get that many people voting, despite all of their different versions of it, it, it usually comes fairly close. Not exactly, but nothing so outlandish that it becomes like a joke. This week, it was one of the we- – I mean, it has not been a chaotic poll like this since 2015 when a lot of people thought midseason that Utah might be a, a dark horse – champion um, which obviously didn't pan out but for two weeks utah was at the top in 2015 but this week the poll is so bizarre but at the same time completely plausible um it was really cute uh, and 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 frankly we were flattered to see ralph russo who's the head of the ap poll he doesn't vote in it but he's the one who organizes it he thought it was an interesting poll as well because texas is number one in this poll but in terms of first place votes georgia which is ranked number three has triple the votes uh first place votes of Texas. And, you know, again, Washington's number five. They have more votes than Ohio State in the first place votes than Ohio State at number two. And it just kind of shows what I think a lot of, again, if you listen to to a lot of what some of the other talking heads, I mean, I'm talking folks, you know, who are paid the big money to talk college football. It's really hard to peg who the top 10 are right now. And I think our poll being as chaotic as it is with a number one team that has, ha- you know, a third of the first place votes as the number three team. It just shows you that right now it's, I, I don't know if you can clearly say who the top four are right now. Is it, is it Texas? Is it Ohio state, Georgia, Michigan, Washington, Penn state, Florida state, you know, it, whoever emerges from the, or whoever else might emerge from I, any of those conferences seems to have a shot. And this is not a year where it feels like this is going to be, you know, who, especially the SEC being weaker, this isn't the year where we're like, it's going to be Georgia, Alabama, or LSU. Maybe all three will make it into the, the playoff or something like that. This seems to be one of the most subject years. I seem to have gotten a lot of people raising their hands. Um, yeah, go ahead, Nate. Bob, real quick. and Yeah, real quick on that, because uh, we we're going back and forth. Gamecock, obviously, it's uh, you after. I just throw a quick snippet in here. Awesome point the amount of talent that's like in the Pac-12 and just different different conferences other than the SEC this year because of Alabama's problems, the LSU loss at the beginning of the season, FSU coming on strong, Utah, I mean like with their schedule and I don't there's no way anybody could tell you who the top 4 is definitively until we get through Easily this weekend, and I would say as we get through next weekend, we'll have a better roadmap. But right now, it's great for college football. The landscape across the whole nation with uh, the West being so much better than it's been in the past, I think it's great for college football. So uh, I'm looking forward to watching, and I'll tell you what, <laughs> I turn on the TV at you know 7 in the morning. I, I read, and then I'm watching SEC Nation. I watch College Game Day. Um, and then I watch football until the West Coast games are over. So great for college football. Thanks. Thanks, Absolutely. Bob. Absolutely. 100%, Nate. And Gamecock Superman and then John. What's going on? Um, so, yeah, talking about th- this week's slate, one game I'd like to – or two games, actually, I'd like to um, bring your attention to, you probably already know, is this Friday we have Utah and Oregon State. Obviously, Oregon State, Washington State was – a uh, you know pretty pretty good battle there. I I wasn't able to watch it because I was at the South Carolina game, but you know, um, do you do you believe that uh, you know Utah it 
is going to win this game because I think if they do, you know, it'll solidify them as as sort of that number fourth team in the Pac-12 outside of Oregon, USC, and Washington that could, you know, can potentially compete for the Pac-12 title. Um, and also another question I have is what's the status on uh, Cam Rising, the Utah quarterback, because he's been out since the beginning of the year. Well, Cam Rising, it's amazing to think what Utah has done without having Cam Rising because what they did to UCLA this past week, I mean, their defense is just relentless. And granted, you know, UCLA has a talented quarterback, but he's a freshman, and they just decided to sack him relentlessly, um, as you do if you go and play in Salt Lake City, especially against that Utah defense. Apparently, Cam Rising is is taking some reps. I don't know again, where he's at, if he's going to start, but he seems to be improving, which will only make Utah more of a, a terror in the Pac-12. But I think that that's a really interesting call for that Friday game because Oregon State lost pretty handily to Wazoo. The score doesn't ended up, there was a garbage, uh, some garbage time scoring, which made it look a little closer. Wazoo is the team that now suddenly, at least in the Pac-12, is the one that could be that fourth team because they have a, great quarterback there and and it was a big deal last year but it was kind of it was ignored because he came from incarnate word that was a big deal incarnate words head coach became the offensive coordinator for uh, last season for wazoo and came with his his quarterback who had won the uh the top quarterback in the fcs the previous year and that is who they have right now and that is that that clearly just oregon state being a, an otherwise strong team especially on defense couldn't couldn't stop them um, but it'll be interesting to see where Utah fits in that pecking order based on this game. Um, if Utah wins, and I think, yeah, they're still in that race to be the number four team battling with Wazoo. Um, and and again, maybe they're the number one team at this point. Perception-wise, they'd be battling with Wazoo for that that fourth spot. But if Oregon State manages to to rally, then then Utah, maybe we start reevaluating where a lot of these teams are. You know, another Friday game, by the way, before I forget, that I'm interested in only because they're one of the, the, the under the radar programs right now is Louisville because they're undefeated 4 0, 2 0 in the ACC. They're going on the road to NC State. We're actually going to have a reporter at that game. I'm really curious to see how that goes because there's a couple of, there's several unranked, undefeated FBS teams. Like Syracuse is the other. I'm not sure where they're at right now. Um, Kentucky is another one. But Louisville, I really want to see how they do because they are, they're the sneaky one right now, in my opinion, in the ACC, where I'd be very curious to see. Because um, I remember when we had, we had Matt Fortuna, who's a great reporter, who's now kind of doing, he's, he's independent right now with his own um, uh, website. But I actually asked him in the AMA, I was like, well, you know, I, I think Washington, at least in the top 10, is the most underrated of the, the really top contenders at the moment because they, they, you know, their offense is unstoppable. They've just been manhandling teams. But I think among the undefeated teams that aren't ranked, Louisville is the one that I'm just most curious about, and I think they get the least amount of conversation. John, what's on your mind? Hey, man, I just wanted to bring this up because I know you mentioned it earlier. I don't want to make sure this got brought up before we end it tonight. Uh, I'm kind of curious what your thoughts about uh, Ryan Day and the Lou Holtz beefing. I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand <laughs> Ryan Day beefing with a. 86 year old man who hasn't coached in 20 years <laughs> that, you know, that, you know, it, it, it's, 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 you know, we talked about it. You know, it's a weird weekend. I feel like we can't skip that one. Yeah. It's, 
I, I just I, yeah. I have a really I, I'm gonna go really quick on that because I know a lot of folks have talked about it. I actually think it's hilarious because when I heard that after the after the game, I'm like, is he cutting a wrestling promo? This sounds like I grew up in the '80s, so I'm just thinking. I still call it WWF. I'm like, this is a W with that beard that obviously we love to joke about because it's so perfectly black. Yeah, I'm like, this is this is getting into like. This is getting into a, a classic pro wrestling promo, and I'm all for that. With Dion, I, I would love to now see Ryan Day and Dion Sanders get into like a, like cutting promos at each other. Obviously, Dan Lanning kind of lost. I wouldn't say lost is cool. That that's an insult, but he definitely got a little bit annoyed with everyone asking him about Dion, and and really seemed to take some glee before the game in in, in t- uh, definitely uh, being the team that that upset the uh, that finally derailed the the Dion train there, but. All of these, and obviously Deion Sanders himself is is part of this. He's he's just a personality, and love it or hate it, he certainly gets attention. Like I, I don't mind this stuff. I mean, I prefer that to. And I'm gonna say this: I was as an alumnus, I was horribly embarrassed by what happened at USC. With uh, they banned one of the reporters. I forgot. I think it was the OC Register, one of the major papers that, that covers USC sports, and it was just an embarrassment. They had to they had to walk it back, and it was kind of a shocking one. Only because, again, you know, um, USC, their new athletic director, they got her from Washington, and she's considered very good at what she does. Um, you know, she's recently on the job right now. But again, uh, yeah, Jennifer Cohen. So it this seems to be like Lincoln Riley being Lincoln Riley because he famously was very um, sensitive about this stuff at Oklahoma. You can't do that in Los Angeles. I mean, Los Angeles, okay, the nice thing about being in Los Angeles, it's not quite New York, but college sports still gets a huge, it's still far back. It's not the prominent part of sports stuff, you know. Um, Jerry Buss, the Lakers, you know, the the late Laker owner was famous for just being smart about that. He's like, I will not get into a uh, a battle with people who buy ink. By You know, I will never get into, what's the saying? It's like, I will. I'll never get into a pissing match with people who buy ink by the barrel. So that was that was Jerry Buss, the the late Lakers owner. His opinion on he just would deal with the press and fine, just deal with it. Like what Lincoln Riley did there. Well, I don't know if it was Lincoln Riley, but given some of the things that had happened at Oklahoma, that was really that was foolish. So I prefer seeing what Ryan Day did. And again, with Lou Holtz, I mean, okay, yeah, he's eighty six, but it's Lou Holtz, and he. I saw the quote. He's definitely out there, and it stuck with him, and maybe it's just the way Lou Holtz talks or maybe the fact that, who knows, maybe Ryan Day looked up to him at some point. I'm not going to say, but I think Lou Holtz being a head coach and, and unabashedly a Notre Dame fan, and, and I'm never going to fault him that because I've seen coach there and coached the national championship there. But that got into – that. I think he pressed the button that has clearly been bugging Ryan Day a lot and, and whether or not – even Ryan Day said, look, we had one bad half against Michigan and everyone thinks we're like a soft team. They clearly weren't yesterday, or probably on Saturday. So I think he just, that was him letting that all go. I think what surprised me more was it kept going in the post-game presser. Um, I, I, to be fair, I'm pretty sure someone asked him that. Uh, but but to hear that quote keep, that kept going was was kind of a striking one. Nate, I... I... Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, two cents on just two cents on that real quick, and you know everybody else can say whatever. Um, I thought it was super weird, <laughs> Ryan Day. I thought um, to get to have Lou Holtz get under your skin that bad, and the game was um, you know really close. And to, here's the the point I want to make: 
if that clip doesn't happen with Ryan Day, the story would be the 10 people on the field with Notre Dame. Um, Freeman obviously addressed it, and there's been a lot of like side talk on college sport radio, like Mad Dog and all that, which uh, was addressed really well. But I think that the story got missed because of Ryan Day's weird comments, because not having, you know, having 10 people on the field instead of 11 on the play where it didn't get stopped, I think that was the bigger story. Uh, but Ryan Day just acting kind of, you know, and I was, I'll just say it like douchey. Uh, I thought it was just super weird. Uh, you know, like I can't believe that he lets Lou Holtz dictate a victory, uh, interview in the way that he did uh, super corny. Um, and it's, I know I'm a Georgia fan and people could say, Oh yeah, you're saying that cause you hate Ohio state and all that. That's fine. But dude, it's not just me. <laughs> All of college football was like, what is Ryan Day doing? I thought it was like really, really weird. So that's it. Yeah, if college football heads that way, I don't know if I'd mind it, to be honest. I, I think I might be okay with it. But let's see. I, I see Gamecock, Superman, and John, you have your hands up. And then I know I let up Andy, and I'll try to get to the, the three people that are I've requested before we wrap this up. And we might move a little quicker. But I just wanted to, to let you, uh, Gamecock, Superman, Go ahead. What was your thought? Well, well, sort of going off of that, um, you know, going off of Dan Lanning's comments about Dion, uh, do you feel that, you know, what Dan Lanning did to Colorado was was disrespectful and, you know, he, he was being a bully, uh, as as some have said in the media? Because oh, I, no, I think that's that's a bit over the top. I think. Dan Lanning certainly was just trying to motivate his team in the beginning. You know, I think the quote is Cinderella story is over. They're fighting for clicks and we're fighting for wins. Well, I'm not mainly talking about his comments necessarily. I'm just talking about the fact that they, you know, went for they They literally faked a punt inside their own 20, got it, drove down a field, the field and scored a touchdown while up you know, two or three touchdowns. Like, Well, I think they wanted to make a point and only because this was probably going to be I mean, and there's some strategy to this because let's say you're Oregon right now. Uh, you you want to you're dealing with the fact that you've got so many other teams in your conference. You've got your top ten team, but you know again the Pac-12. I swear the Pac they've got top ten teams, but they're not as closely paid attention to as I. I still think they get that kind of uh, that kind of issue and they maybe the chip on your shoulder like you got to get everyone's attention. You have to do that. And after you know games against Portland State, Texas Tech, Hawaii. This was really the chance for Oregon to get everyone's attention before they play Washington in a few weeks. So I don't I don't think it was unsportsmanlike. I don't think that I think they just wanted to show everyone like, look, the, they knew the attention that was coming for this game. And they were right because it was the one of the most watched games. There's some argument if it was number one or number two, which is, again, amazing when you consider they were competing against that Ohio State Notre Dame game. So this was the chance to get a lot of influence and show what Oregon football can do. Uh, you know, cause last year they fell flat immediately. Cause unfortunately their opening game was with Georgia and Georgia was Georgia. And they just couldn't, you know, Oregon was for the rest of the year. Everyone was kind of wrote them up. This was their chance to be that. And I'm going to be honest as a fan of the university of Southern California, I was kind of hoping it was going to be USC next week, this week that got to be the team that pants uh, Colorado, not because I dislike Dion, but because I just thought like, Boy, everyone's gonna love that game. Everyone's gonna love the team that does that. And this and Oregon took full advantage of that. And to be fair, Colorado, I mean, I don't think Travis, I mean, losing Travis Hunter was was a huge hit, but I think part of the problem is they just haven't 
they're they're a strong team. They're a strong middle team, but they were never gonna they were never gonna be able to stand up to some of the more you know established programs with depth. And and Oregon was that, and we saw exactly what I think people expected was gonna happen when Colorado in this initial season went up against that. And I'm not saying. I'm not going to be stupid right off Dion for that one game. I think, you know, we're seeing the, the limits of what you can do when you replace most of your roster. You still got to build up the line. You still have to build up talent that can maintain and keep it up. But again, that, I'm not shocked by that, but I, I don't well, I mean, blame to, Dan Lance to that, that point. I, I think another thing was, you know, the, the trash talk by the Colorado players um, to, you know, the, the Oregon sideline before the game and, and sort of their antics. And I expect for, you know, this week against Southern Cal at home for the, the antics, so to speak, to be turned down a little bit. And I just don't think it's Lincoln Riley's style to get into a, you know, public pissing match in the media with another head coach. Yeah, uh, no, he would just know, shut down the way. reporters. That, that's, that's his, yeah. head, his MO. But, uh, yeah. Uh, one other point on that, too, between the two. I mean, Dan Lanning is a defensive-minded coach. Lincoln Riley is not. So I think that, it, you know, for Oregon, um, it makes sense why they came out so hard and their defense destroyed Colorado. I think we all saw that coming. At least, you know, I think the majority of people did. I think the USC thing will be a little different. I think USC is going to play uh, solid offense. Colorado is going to want to respond, but Lincoln Riley's problem is the defense where Dan Lanning, in my opinion, um, you know, he, he's solid. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, no, no, just a dynamic. No, 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 no dispute there. Hey, John, what's going on? Let's have your thought. And then let's get to Andy. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to wrap up. Was, uh, just, uh, you know, you're mentioning Lou Holtz and Ryan day. I think at the end of the day, really, you, even though, you know, it's Lou Holtz, you're still, you know, you know, <laughs> smack talking 86 year old man there's no that's a no win situation for you no matter what the you know no matter what's going on uh also what real quick for uh you know we we go on to the next person uh shout out to uh diego pavia for uh a new way of uh of disrespecting your rival school i don't know if anyone saw that but i was oh the uh, new is that new mexico state the new mexico state guy yeah. oh yes he got yeah. videotaped i think was by his own teammate urinating on the practice field logo for New Mexico. And I, I love it. Somebody leaked the leak is, is how it was, I think, shared in a few places. But yeah, that, that's, uh, that, that was definitely a creative one. And, and to let alone have it, have it revealed. What a, what a mess. What an awkward one. Andy, you've been super patient. What's on your mind, man? So I've got a couple of questions. I know that we don't quite know about the four that are going to get to the playoff, or at least a decent guess. But I wonder, do we know like a top 12 or like a top 10 somewhere on there? Boy, yeah. You know, at this point, well, top 10 or 12, that's that's a pretty huge chunk of folks. And I think that's part of what I think is making next season so attractive. And, and actually, just one quick note before I forget, one of the other interesting stories was – uh, the commissioner of the American uh, Oresco said he's now fine with this all because they want to alter it. They, it was originally going to be six plus six, the five conference. Well, six of the top conference champions, which Im- implicitly means you'd be taking the top conference champ from one of the G fives um, as well as six at large teams. But with the PAC 12 imploding, that kind of made it questionable. So now 
Oresco is apparently fine with this concept of a, a five plus seven, where it would be the top five conference finishers. So the remaining four uh, SEC, Big Ten, uh, uh, ACC, and Big 12, along with whoever the top uh, team is from the remaining conferences, which would be implicitly the, the five G5, and then with seven you know, at large team. So, but again, going to what we're looking at here with who would be my 12 finishers. I mean, it's, I'm not going to say the top 12 of like the AP or something like that, because some of those are going to inevitably play each other. So at this point, I, again, I, I'll go with inertia. I will say Georgia is one of the ones I think Texas is in that mix. I think they seem to be the ones that currently in my mind are leading that big 12. Um, Michigan and Ohio State, either one of those are both, you know, they've done it before last season, so we'll have to say that. Florida State, after being Clemson, that keeps them in there. Boy, Penn State's the hardest one, though. I think that, that those three, I mean, Penn State, we saw what they did to Iowa. They didn't play down to Iowa. They just crushed Iowa and potentially crushed Brian Ferentz in the problem in the process because, as some of you may know, he had to keep up. I forgot, it was it 25 points over the season? Getting shut out, I think he has to hit like now at some point like an average of 28 points per game, which is just not feasible to supposedly keep his job. Somebody got his father, the head coach, to say that he needed to maintain that kind of a points per game. But it, it looks pretty hopeless after Penn State shut them out. So I do like them a lot. So I almost I have trouble putting them in there. Now with the Pac-12, I think it's going to be... You know, USC, I'm, I'm, I'm iffy on them. And, and I say that because Alex Grinch, defensive coordinator, still hasn't taught them how to tackle, and I don't know why. And everyone knew it was a problem, and it's still there. So I'm going to go with Washington there at this point. Maybe Wazoo, because I, I, I think they are the more dominant team. And then um, SEC, other than Georgia, it's, it's more open. I, I don't know. Who would I take between Alabama or LSU? Um, that would be that would be a tough one at this point. I'm I'm more impressed, or at least more confused than I ever have been uh, about that conference. But that was that was an interesting one, Andy. I really uh, I really appreciate you um, adding that uh, to the conversation. You know, I want to keep us moving only because we're slowly running out of time. We typically go for an hour, and we're at hour fifteen. But Scott, you've been really patient. Um, I see your go dogs. What's going on? What's on your mind, my man? Uh, no, not much. I actually wanted to chime in. I have a few friends that are not insiders, but close enough to the Buckeyes program. They kind of know the history behind it. And I wanted to chime in on that, uh, make a joke at Kirby's expense because his acting prowess is pretty bad. I was going to ask if you could send over a Trojan actor or, you know, acting class for my man during the Ford commercials because it's pretty rough right now. But the (laughs) – Is is it as bad as Ed Orgeron when he was at Ole Miss doing the Hummer commercials? Because those were legendary. I need need to – rein it in if that's if that's what the baseline is because that that was pretty bad (laughs) um but ryan day really looked up to lou holtz um he already is the kind of guy that takes self personal because his predecessor urban meyer was one of the few coaches you know in that northern area that quote-unquote mimicked the sec blueprint of physicality it always seemed like a lot of people shied away from playing old miss or not old miss uh uh, Ohio State simply because they were one of the few teams that built from the inside out, very pride themselves on line of scrimmage play, things like that. And when Lou attacked the one thing that Ryan Day is already super sensitive about, which is physicality, being able to hang tough, especially because he's you know recently owned two against Michigan, it really dug deep. I know a lot of people close to them that were saying that was something they really, really harped on. Um, and, you know, it's just been one of those criticisms that Day's not been able to shake off. 
Some of it for good reason. Some of it I think is over-exaggerated. But the way he hung on to it, instead of just having that passionate response, getting the PR train kicked up and saying it's Ohio against the world, you know, getting the fans involved, the way he kept going on, you can tell that's kind of days. I want to say personality. I don't know the guy, but I, I, you can tell it really, really hit him deep. And that's just something like Lou, Lou Holtz, in all seriousness, and I've been told this, that he is one of the few coaches at Ryan Day. If you could hang up a picture of him on the wall, he would. And, and, you know, and that makes a lot of sense. And, and again, I think I think you nailed it because clearly that was – and again, I think Lou Holtz became the avatar for all of the critique. And, and you know, some folks uh, who I respect have said that this is just proof that, again, head coaches do actually listen to what's said about their team. Some of them oh, say he, they don't. he listens to a lot. Oh, and, he and clearly does. And that's yeah. something that he truly needs to dial back because, listen, I, I hate defending Day, especially as a Dogs fan. Because I do think a lot of the criticism is legit, but he is a first-time coach. But he he goes out of his way to get get into where his name's being utilized, what Ohio State's kind of media narrative is, and and where they're at. Um, I, I also wanted to say this. Speaking of good games this weekend, I know uh, the Gamecock down there is definitely you know excited about the Tennessee South Carolina game. I really think that's one I'm going to circle on the chart. Obviously, after you know Deep South's oldest rivalry. Because I think Spencer Rattler is dealing. Now, granted, he's playing behind a high school offensive line, but he is absolutely slinging that thing. Absolutely. And I think you're going to get a lot of agreement here. You know, I want to get to a few more thoughts on out here. Let's see. Ski Mask Smurphy, I know you disappeared and reappeared, but I know we've had you. And let's see, I'll try and get to Cody, and then we'll probably wrap up. Get to Ski Mask Smurphy. Hey, what's going on? What's on your mind, my friend? Oh, Ski Mask Smurphy. Sometimes there's a time delay and people oh, don't hear their name. No, 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 don't worry. I realized exactly what happened. For, for those in the audience who are unfamiliar, once you get led up onto the stage, you actually, you may not realize that there's a time delay and then suddenly it'll cut like 10 seconds and you'll just be live. Um, so that's what happened to Ski Mask Smurphy. He actually didn't hear me calling him. What's going on, man? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Right now, I feel like the way things are shaping up, especially with now having three of the power five getting rid of divisions to declare their conference championships. I think this season could end up being another 07, 08 BCS mess where maybe picking the top four could end up being not as easy as we think it should be because with the way things are lined up, a lot of teams could end up being just one loss or maybe two losses going into their conference championship game. And then that team, uh, that team who's maybe undefeated or has one loss can lose to that team. And then Ross is going to be sitting there wondering, wait, so who do we pick to go through this? Everybody's, everybody's record is probably going to stack up being pretty even. And especially with the SEC not being as good as it has been. So there's definitely going to be not two SEC teams. So I think it may be a, a wide open gallery to end the season. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think we're going to see. A, I, I, it, it's hard to see. I, I think it's possible that we're going to end up with those with that kind of a scenario, and um, more so than usual. I'm wondering if we're going to get into the 2007 zone. I'm not going to say that. Anytime anyone says we're 2007, it never ends up being that way. And and I apologize. I just want to go ahead and at least get one more caller in this because I do want to slowly wrap this up. Um, let's go ahead and let up Cody. And and while Cody's coming up, Scott, I actually saw your hand up earlier. What was uh, what did you want to add to this? 
Oh, well, it, it, I think it goes to show why expansion's needed because the Pac-12 is clearly the best of the Power 5 conferences in terms of top five in depth. And I feel like we're, we're going to be punishing cannibalization in a four-team when you know a, there could be potentially two teams of the Pac-12 that deserve it, but because at some point one's going to knock off the other or there's going to be a loss that we have to judge with no way to really weigh it, you know, which loss is worse to which team, and no one-to-one comparison. I think it's going to get complicated. I just, I, I totally agree. I don't think 2007 quite yet. I think teams are growing and, and the better teams are emerging. But with the SEC being almost in full rebuild across the board, I mean, you know, the most experienced quarterbacks being Daniels, Rattler, and KJ, it, it's just, it's pure chaos down here. So you have the ACC again, three teams. Miami could potentially knock off one. Um, Duke could be, you know, upset the apple card. It's just going to be it's going to be extremely, extremely interesting. And the good news with the Big Ten, the East side decides itself because all the big three play each other. So we'll know the way they go. Normally, the ACC figures itself out. But the Pac-12, I, I almost feel bad for in a way because they're playing really good football. And it's just a matter of, OK, well, what do you weigh more? Yeah, great football in their last season, no less. I mean, this is just I mean, it's a heck of a swan mm-hmm. song for them. You know, I, I want to let Cody speak, and then uh, let's see, and, and then I'll get to you, Ski Mask uh, Smurfy. What, Cody, what's going on, man? It's been a minute. Hey, guys. Um, thank you for having me. Greetings from a hot Arizona still. It is still pretty hot here. Um, don't come here yet. <laughs> um, so I had, I had a question, and maybe your thoughts. Uh, I, I was at the USC game in Tempe last weekend, drove up for it. Not the game I was expecting. <laughs> Uh, but we got the win anyway. Um, so I wanted to bring up uh, probably an unpopular opinion throughout the college football world, and I, I totally get it. What I'm about to say may sound ludicrous. I do believe the defense has improved compared to last year. Yeah, there's still some of the same issues I see with the tackling and all that, but, man, you cannot deny that defensive line is crazy good. And I think with the team we have this year, with Caleb Williams, this might be our best chance to win a championship for the next, I don't know, two to three years. I'm not sure a Malachi Nelson or a Miller Moss will lead us there. I just think we have a generational quarterback that could carry us into the national championship. Just want to hear your thoughts on well, that. Well, I completely agree about Caleb Williams. I mean, it's crazy. Even in the game where USC just seemed like off, and it's so funny. If, you don't, if folks only saw the final score, 42-28, it was that game – was very close until the end. They just kind of USC finally broke free in the final minutes. Um, Arizona State kept getting keeping it within one score, and and it looked like we. I mean, because within RCFB, we we have a little banner. Where if a top ten team loses, we'll put a sort of an intentional vandalism of whatever their logo is. We started doing it years ago, and we keep it up. We were getting ready for that. We were like, oh well. Maybe we can put the Arizona Sun Devil with a Trojan helmet on. Like, we were literally already in the middle of designing it because the fourth quarter was just so close in a late game. And um, and then again, USC came uh, came forward. Caleb Williams, even in a so-so game, had some just insane plays that just show what level of talent the guy has. But it, and, and I think you're right to an extent because... When you compare it to the Stanford game, it was just ridiculous. That first half, I honestly, it's been a long time since USC looked that dominant against a team as they did the previous week. So maybe Arizona State decided to just come back after that. But again, Arizona State the previous week 
shut out at home by Fresno State. There's so many. And yeah, Jaden Rashada was, was, was knocked out and he didn't play again against USC. So there's so many factors in what exactly happened in the desert. Um, all I kept thinking of watching the game and watching USC struggle against an Arizona State team that looks like this is just going to, unfortunately, it's going to be a complete rebuilding year for them was this is the same stadium where Lane Kiffin coached his last game at USC, and then when they arrived back, he was tarmacked, as he famously was, left on the tarmac at LAX. And part of me was wondering, well, if USC manages to lose this because the defense just doesn't seem to know how to stop what seems like a very weak Arizona State team that had just been shut out, then is this going to be Alex Grinch's tarmac game? Or do they just leave him in Tempe on tarmac there? Sorry, this plane is for people currently employed by USC. Or I mean, I could think of a lot of warp things I could have twisted that one. But um, yeah, I, USC has a defense gotten better. I think so, because gosh knows what we saw against Tulane in Utah to end last season was horrific. Like that wasn't even, that didn't even make sense that a Pac-12 program that gotten that far could could feel the defense that bad but i'm not sure i think we were people were still hoping to see a significant improvement especially considering how quickly usc's offense turned around with a couple of key players but again a defense isn't is a little more than that maybe that's that's just sort of an uh that's kind of an illustration of that but man i uh, i'm curious to see how it looks against colorado that's for sure i think it's important uh nate I'll, i'm sorry to interrupt uh i'll let you get uh, your thought in just one second. Um, I think it's important that Kenny also did take over play calling that week for USC, and it definitely showed. Like, I will give Arizona State the full credit. They brought out all the tricks and flowers to this game. Like, much, much respect to Arizona State. They fought their ass off. I I think it, we can't deny that, and I think Arizona State – is in a is in good hands, especially going to the Big Twelve. I think they're going to be a problem in the Big Twelve in the next like five years or so. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And then for those who may not be familiar, Kenny Dillingham, their head coach, was the offensive coordinator for Oregon last year, and then before that, he had been offensive coordinator for Florida State uh, for a couple of years before again because Dan Lanning's first season was last year. That's why he was at Oregon for only a year. Um, and yeah, no. So again, that, that would, that could very well be a very good indication of why Arizona state suddenly became way more potent than they had been that disastrous previous week. You know, Nate, uh, actually let's ski mask, uh, Smurphy. I know you had your hand up earlier and then we'll go to Nate and then we'll slowly wrap this up. Where's it? <coughs> Sorry. No worries. Yeah. I just wanted to talk about what Cody just mentioned. And it sort of ties into what I was going to rebuttal with Scott. Is that, yeah, Cody, I think USC USC does have a chance to contend for the championship this season because, like I said, like a few of us said earlier, things are very close and very tight-knit. And it just reminded me, like, we forgot, like, last season, three of the Power Five conference champions all had two losses with Clemson, Kansas State, and um, Utah. And, you know, that sort of set things up perfectly for the SEC to have two teams, but look at how weak the SEC is this year. If you if USC or anyone in the Pac-12 can just hold on and have one loss, I see them having a good chance of being in the playoffs and contending. Thanks. Absolutely. Nate, what's your thought? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't going to go much on this. I thought, you know, trying to transition, because I know you're trying to, like, tone it down. Um, if you want to add more comments before I did my final, like, uh, comment, feel free. I just... Um, 
had a little snippet that I wanted to say before he closed the space down. No, so, absolutely. Go right ahead. We'll probably close this down pretty soon. So all your, all you, my yeah. friend. Yeah, yeah. Um, appreciate you uh, letting the space go longer. I could talk about college <laughs> football for five more hours, and I know Scott in here uh, could do the same. Scott and I have talked many times uh, lengthy about uh, college sports. Good to see him up here. He has a wealth of knowledge, by the way, when it comes to, to – uh, college football in general. But my comment is um, the game that I'm looking forward to the most this weekend, obviously Georgia, you know, that's going to be that uh, way every weekend, but it's the six o'clock game, Ole Miss, LSU. I think that that game um, has such gravity, mainly because, you know, obviously we saw Ole Miss lose to Alabama. Um, LSU uh, has already lost to Florida State. So whoever wins that game, they, they kind of – they're a bigger piece to the puzzle in the West. And if it's LSU, you know, LSU still got to play Alabama, but if LSU loses, then it gives that, that bigger card to um, Ole Miss because then they take down LSU, but they lost to Alabama. So guess what? Alabama then becomes a key player in the West again. So the point is that game to me has a lot of, um, importance in terms of what takes place in the West. So I'm really looking forward to see how that game plays out because we all know SEC football, it, it is a little, I would I would agree that it's more down than we've seen in a while. That game holds a lot of value for does Alabama kind of rejuvenate themselves, get more clout as we roll further along in this um, uh, season. The other thing is, though, whoever wins that game, if it keeps playing the West down, then it opens up more doors for, let's just say Georgia, hypothetically, is still like the number one. It opens up more doors for the three and four if Ohio State or Michigan is the two. And I think there should be more doors opened up based on what we're seeing across the whole landscape. So I think that that game is so important and I appreciate it. Let me expand upon that. Absolutely, and that is an interesting game, and I'm very curious to see how it goes. I think LSU has more to lose in that game than, than Ole Miss. I'm very curious to see how, because Ole Miss seemed really disheartened after losing that Alabama game because they made such a big deal about it. Lane was Lane was leaning into the the most laniest moments of being a troll towards his opponent, and then they they fell flat because Alabama's defense suddenly became Alabama's defense, as we always tend to to know and fear it. And despite the offense, still we're figuring it out. That Alabama defense was ferocious and just held them to 10 points. You know, I'm going to go ahead and slowly wrap this up. Just wanted to say a couple of other quick things if you haven't had a chance to see. You know, we're talking about Caleb Williams. One of the funnier bloopers of this last week was Caleb Williams at one point, the offensive line, the center just wasn't paying attention, hiked the ball, and absolutely nailed Caleb Williams in the breadbasket. So you actually see a very comical moment. Caleb Williams leans forward like, Simpsons, Hans Molman getting hit in the ball in the in the crotch with the football. It was that kind of a moment. So you see the future NFL pick just completely bowl over for a second. And then I have to mention Louisville. We were talking about that. I'm very excited to see how that game on Friday looks because they're undefeated and unranked, but they seem to be sneaking up on people. They had no trouble with Boston College, who has returned to Earth after. Again, we talked about it last week. I, I am convinced when they do those red bandana games, BC becomes a totally different team, and they nearly upset Florida State. But they were at Louisville. 
there's a, a play where again, you know, the, the defense is rushing the, the backfield. And I a, literally a, uh, a Louisville player decides to do a cartwheel um, and, and does a cartwheel in the backfield as he's running into the back. I've never seen anything like it during a live play. The guy just decided, hell with it, I'm going to do a cartwheel way off on the side in the backfield. Worth looking up. Um, <laughs> you know, what, kind of the other, again, just sort of, I, I, I'm amazed we never got a chance to talk about the fact that Jimbo was apparently on the field in the middle of a play. Um, for those who missed it, Auburn uh, got a scoop and score while uh, Jimbo, again, and that's part of the reason why. I don't think Jimbo expected it. Uh, you know, A&M was on offense, so he's, I don't know why, because, you know, some of the coaches have those handlers, the stay back man who sort of grabs the coach, sometimes by a belt, sometimes by their shirt, and keeps them from getting a penalty from running onto the field. They apparently, somebody lost, I mean, again, the, the defense lost the, their man, so Jimbo ends up on the field. The, <laughs> the returning Auburn player runs right by him, and I, it, the, the commentators never mentioned it, at least during the live play, which, again, one of those striking moments. I also wanted to bring up one of the better stories or one of the funkier ideas. And, and Ross Dellinger, I always love his work. He's at Yahoo now, kind of reporting on what's going to happen to this Pac-12 Mountain West. Are they going to merge? Are they going to do something like that? What's the future of the, the, the Pac-2 or the Tupac? There's this interesting one of the – they're so willing right now to look at radical ideas to save a conference that there's a, a theory, and this is one that's – Purely theoretical before. It's not the first time I've heard it. The idea of having the Pac-12 in the Mountain West actually kind of do this semi-combination where they actually do, a, like a, within those two conferences, a Premier League promotion relegation system where top teams would be in the Pac-12, but then there would be some rapid movement between seasons of who's in the Pac-12 and who's in the Mountain West. It's a wild idea. I think it's a little too wild to work in the system that has been built up in our uh, college football system, but I, I just wanted to acknowledge it because I've never seen it seriously talked about at any point. Um, one of the other stories that might have gotten lost, Ohio State's athletic director was giving, Gene Smith was giving testimony to Congress about the NIL landscape, and he quoted, and again, when they say it in Congress, they usually are serious about this. Apparently, it's become, quote, common for, poten for potential prospective college athletes to ask for $5,000 simply to visit a campus. So that, that, one, that one definitely caught my attention. We know NIL is getting bigger and has changed the sport, but imagine now to take an official visit. No, no, you pay me. On a positive note, and especially with all the chaos that's happened at Iowa State, um, you know, preseason they had all the mess with the gambling uh, controversy that, that the, and the investigation that's going on. They had one of the best NIL promotions I've ever seen Look up Iowa pork producers um, on Twitter. They're Iowa pork, but you can probably just look up Iowa pork producers, Iowa State, because somebody figured this out and uh, apparently they, they were willing to lean into it. There are four players on the Iowa State roster and their names spell out purchase more ham and pork Pardon me, ham and bacon, purchase more ham and bacon. So uh, it's purchase. It's more one guy. He's the, the name. That's the, you know, it's, it's like H A M A N N, but it's Hammond and bacon. They have a guy named bacon. So they've, they're posing their backs to the camera. So you see that sentence spelled out in front of a pile of Iowa pork product. So that is by far one of the funnier NILs I've seen in ages. 
And as someone who did their graduate work at Minnesota, I have to acknowledge that the Gophers did the most Gopher thing I've ever seen and losing overtime to Northwestern, the team that no one thought was going to win any games in the Big Ten. And not only did they lose, they lost in the most Minnesota way possible. See, I went to USC and I went to Minnesota, so I feel like I've got two extremes that, that kind of feed me here. But Minnesota was in the lead in the fourth quarter. Northwestern scores 21 unanswered points to take the game into overtime where they win 37 to 34. That was, again, that'll take some of the, the you know, PJ Fleck. I don't know how he's going to work in the long run, but I just, I, I had to acknowledge that one because that was, that was a classic gopher moment. I didn't watch that one live. I'm kind of glad I didn't. I had a friend who was saying that this was going to be a blowout, like, Colorado losing to Oregon boy was he wrong um so again I just wanted to throw that one out there as well so on that note this was RCFB talk 159 my name is Bob Akhairi we do these every Tuesday night at 10 p.m live calls it's always fun to hear from you um here on reddit RCFB on Twitter or X or however you want to call it so on behalf of myself on behalf of all of us I wanted to thank everyone who joined the conversation Wanted to thank you all for listening. Now I'm going to hang up and listen.